The Guardian. The vast majority of people in Tottenham reject what has happened here last night. A community that was already hurting has now had the heart ripped out of it. There are now more people here ready to clean up than there were rioters last night that caused this sort of damage. The community's come together today, yeah. Look at our town now, look at Eltham. Eltham hasn't been touched. I also want to say to the I also want to say to the people who've been involved in instigating these riots, to those who have been who those who have been robbing and stealing, that they will be caught. They that, that, the government are in control. Just the wise what better to do it, will they? Exactly. Yeah. The government do, they tried, they failed in it. How many, how many people have they arrested really though at 10? And when, when I get home, nothing's going to happen to me. I'm not going to get grounded or shouted. I might get shouted at, but right, that's it. I'll live with that and keep doing it. London is in shock. Major cities around England are bracing themselves for further disturbances. The worst urban riots in a generation have ruined countless businesses, injured dozens of policemen and left four men dead. More than 700 people have been arrested. Hundreds more are being identified from CCTV images. And the Prime Minister and the London Mayor have returned from holidays facing urgent questions. Well, what has caused it? Who is taking part? And how does it end? Joining me in the studio, I have Stafford Scott, a community organiser from Tottenham in North London, The Guardian's London blogger Dave Hill, and our columnist Jonathan Friedland. Well, this has been a news story that traditional media have struggled to cover. Playing out on Twitter in dozens of locations at once, news crews and reporters have struggled to keep up. Matt Wells has been curating The Guardian's live blog. I'm Matt Wells. I'm one of the team of writers who's been following uh, all these events step by step on our live blog. Uh, it all started on Saturday after a ba rather badly handled vigil by the family of Mark Duggan, who'd been shot on Thursday. This was in Tottenham, outside the police station there. Uh, that developed into uh, some trouble there, which sparked quite an alarming and large riot around North London which continued into the Sunday night uh, spreading to Enfield, Brixton, other areas like that uh, and really it was Monday night that the significant rioting started huge scenes of trouble in uh, Hackney and Croydon uh, and, and for the first time rioting outside London as well Birmingham, Liverpool uh, it's been a very difficult story to follow, actually, because it's been quite hard to know where everything was breaking out next. We've been using social networking tools like BlackBerry Messenger and Twitter, obviously, to try and track where the uh, next events uh, will happen. Tuesday was the really big day. This was when the government decided to crack down heavily. 16,000 police uh, were deployed to the streets of London and largely, uh, with largely good effect, uh, quite a quiet night in London, but there was significant rioting elsewhere in uh, Manchester and Salford and even places like Gloucester, which was rather surprising. Well, after three nights of mayhem in boroughs across the capital, there was relative calm in London last night. But in Manchester, Nottingham, even Gloucester, there was looting and clashes with police. In Birmingham, where there was widespread looting and rioting, there's now a murder investigation underway. Martin Wainwright was there. Well, last night, there was a game of cat and mouse played in the centre of Birmingham by the police and a mob of two or three hundred young looters. 
and that was on a much smaller scale than the night before. So it looked as if things were, although not good, getting better. But then in the very early hours of this morning, outside uh, Dudley Road Mosque or between Dudley Road Mosque and local petrol station, a jet petrol station, which had been targeted the night before, uh, there were quite a lot of uh, British Asian people out on the streets because Winston Green, which is that part of Birmingham, is a largely British and Asian area. And they were there to protect uh, the petrol station and local property. And we've just been talking to um, myself and, and Ria Satbat have just been talking to a group of men who were there and who said four carloads of potential looters turned up. And um, in, in subsequent events, one of them drove onto the pavement, they said deliberately, and ran over these three uh, young British Asians, two of them brothers who ran a car wash locally, the other one a mechanic at a local garage. Um, and two of them died there and then, or very shortly afterwards. Uh, there is one, one of the sort of separate controversies going on is how long it took the ambulance to arrive and whether police activity delayed that. But anyway, two of them sadly died at the scene and the third one died in the city hospital. We've just been talking to the Bishop of Aston, right, Reverend Tony Watson, who was at a meeting at the mosque this morning where feelings ran very high because uh, uh, a lot of uh, British Asian people feel that their businesses are being targeted by these hoodlums and that not enough is being done to protect them or that protection is going elsewhere, like in the centre of Birmingham. Well, as Martin said, there is deep concern now that the disturbances could be about to split down racial and ethnic lines. Riazat Butt is also in Birmingham, where ethnic tensions have been a feature of recent years. I think it's a real worry in Birmingham that there will be increased racial tensions and that there is now a racial dimension to these riots and to these attacks and to the looting. Because in certain parts of Birmingham, there is a precedent for this kind of behaviour. And um, the people we were speaking to not so long ago, um, they said that back in 2006, that Asian businesses were being targeted because... Um, of economic jealousy. It was an economic issue then. Um, they saw Asians um, with Afro-Caribbean businesses, you know, selling Afro-Caribbean goods like cosmetics and, and toiletries and groceries. And there was felt to be some kind of jealousy and that did escalate and there were, and people did die as a result of those um, incidents. So there is precedent for it. And I think everybody in Birmingham that we've spoken to so far, which is only about half a dozen people, they're very plugged into what's going on. And I think the concern is now to head off any possible reprisal or retaliation and to really allay people's concerns that there isn't going to be another night of violence and that there won't be people attacking each other and divided along racial lines. Riot police were completely absent for that time. Uh, but I've been the last six or seven minutes, they've just arrived Paul Lewis has been covering the riots for The Guardian over the last few nights. I asked him who the rioters were. The only real generalisation that you can offer is to say that they're mostly young and mostly from deprived or poor areas. Beyond that, I think it becomes um, too complex. There have been, I think, inappropriate attempts to ascribe ethnic descriptions. Actually, I think... Most of the time, um, the, the kind of demographic reflects the community that it's taking place in. The obvious point is that there is mass opportunism and people can have realised that, that, you know, for large parts of the night there is no law and if there's something that they want to take and they're in a group, then they can have it. 
So that, that property theft, you know, accumulation of, of, of property that, that, that they want and perhaps wouldn't ordinarily be able to afford um, is one motive. The, the nature and character of what's going on changed every single night, I would say. In the last four nights, each has been different. You know, the first you know, in Tottenham was had much more of a political flavour. It was more concentrated. The second night it wasn't really rioting. People described the second night Sunday as rioting, but it wasn't. It was looting. There were no fires set. There was no, um, you know, fights with police. People were avoiding police. And then, of course, day three was just you know mass rioting, like we've never seen before. I think in terms of scale. Um, and then that spread to other cities, uh, you know, on, on the fourth night. So it, it, it is different. It's always, you know, s- slightly different. But what you could say it has been happening throughout is, you know, people stealing what they can and, and breaking what they need to in order to get it. Joining me in the studio, I have Stafford Scott, a community organiser from Tottenham in North London, The Guardian's London blogger, Dave Hill, and our columnist, Jonathan Friedland. Stafford, uh, you were in Tottenham uh, when these current disturbances started. Um, how do you how do you think it escalated so quickly? I think it, the reason that it escalated so quickly was because of the police inactivity. It appeared from the off that the police's only interest was um, maintaining order in and around the police station. And even when they blocked off roads, they themselves needed to go further down the road. When they blocked off the high road, they needed to go further down the high road in a more northerly direction to redirect traffic. They chose not to do it. So even the bus that we saw set ablaze in the middle of the night, that bus had no right being in that area, shouldn't have been in the area. And if the police really were considering protecting property and protecting lives, they should have blocked off those the roads. And because of their lack of activity, it emboldened the young people. Because at first they were, you know, just doing silly li- little things. But as they realised, I mean, the the symbolic sign of seeing two police cars blazing in the middle of Tottenham High Road and no police officers coming to do anything, that just then further em- emboldened the youth. And then it just all really kicked off. To be quite honest, Dave Hill, when do you think this changed from being a protest about the police shooting somebody? to something else entirely? I, I, I'm reluctant to accept the uh, distinction, the very clear distinction that's being made by some politicians, notably Boris Johnson, who says that that the, the Duggan incident and what happened outside the police station in Tottenham regarding the protest and everything that's happened subsequently have got nothing to do with each other. I mean, clearly we've seen the phenomenon changing in its nature over the three or four days concerned. But to suggest, which is what they're effectively doing, that the burning and looting happened as a purely coincidental uh, uh, event that just happened to follow what happened around the the Duggan episode is obviously nonsense. And what you you know the common elements are clearly uh, uh, very poor relations between some young people in various parts of London and the police. So the things are related, and this is not. This is the, the rather boringly nev- necessary caveat. This is not to uh, offer excuses or, or justify what's happened, but they are connected in that way, I think. And Jonathan Friedland, I mean, some politicians have tried to characterise the rioters as what they're doing as an expression of pure criminality and this sort of thing. I mean, what's your take on that? Well, obviously their actions are criminal, and, uh, and anybody who 
in any way that makes anything other than completely clear is going to be anyway politically in huge trouble and uh, so th- the actions themselves are purely criminal and that's why the BBC got in hot water right at the very beginning using a word like protesters for understandable reasons at the start but you that's the atmosphere at the moment uh, they obviously are criminal it's extremely hard to probe into the motives because the minute you do that people make this huge slippage this error between understand, uh, interpreting the word understanding as excusing and explaining as explaining away uh, and explaining as justifying. And it's so difficult and almost, I think, impossible for politicians to do anything, to, to, to maintain that, uh, to walk that fine line. And so what you end up with is something like the position Ed Miliband's in at the moment, where all he can do is just condemn, 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 because he knows the minute he tries to expl- offer any kind of thought on explanation, people will say you're excusing. And that's just, it's almost a flaw in the language. The word explain sounds like justify, it sounds like excuse. So um, that's the, the problem. My own take on it is that you don't have to be in any way um, soft on the criminality of it to want to know why this happened, because you want to prevent it happening again. I mean, if you feel outraged, I've just spent the morning in Tottenham and I walked the length of Tottenham High Road, bumped into the local MP while I was doing it, talking to the shop owners, talking to the residents there, their, their, their faces, their, their voices break. I mean, they look so um, shattered by what's happened to them that it's an, instinct, an instinctive response to want to do something to make sure it doesn't happen again. To do that, you have to have some clues as to what went wrong. One of the things that's interesting is the point that, um, uh, that Stratford made right at the beginning uh, was echoed there by people I spoke to saying that if it had been nipped in the bud, if it had been just zero tolerance policing right at the beginning, the copycatting uh, wouldn't have happened and it wouldn't even have got out of hand in Tottenham. It just needed to be stopped early. And the fact it wasn't sent a signal that, you know what, you can get away with this. And that, that is a policing issue, but I think is probably integral to this story. Stafford, how do you think the, the policing of the, these disturbances as compares with previous riots? We will remember the Broadwater Farm riot in 1985, for instance. I mean, first of all, the we call the events that happened on Baldwell Farm, we call them the disturbances or the uprisings because one of the, the clear differences between that and what happened in Tottenham recently is there wasn't that level of looting. I think one shop got looted, but it wasn't actually looted. It would, people took things to go and man the front lines and chuck at the police. So what I'm saying is it was very focused there. Our issues were with the police because the kind of policing that we saw in the run-up to, to those disturbances was very hard and harsh indeed. And if this government, the rhetoric is that we're going to have hard and tough policing, if they haven't learned the lessons from the 80s, then I think we're going to see it turn full circle and they're going to get fully reminded of what happened then because I don't think that that's going to be the way that we're going to address these issues. Could I make a couple of points just following on from that really about about some of the things that I've seen in Hackney which is where I live and the and the disturbances were very very close to, to where I live. Um, going back a couple of months uh, Boris Johnson and his policing deputy Kit Malthouse held what, one of what they call their community conversations in a secondary school literally five minutes walk from from where it all happened on Monday and this was the, the most of the audience there was a, a local black audience of of adults the sorts of people who will go to a public meeting responsible local people who are very concerned and there was a range of views expressed about policing there you know including there aren't enough of them and we don't believe you mr mayor when you say there are more of them and so on 
But there was also concerns about uh, young people being excluded from schools in disproportionately large numbers. But the biggest cheer of the night, a spontaneous cheer of support from the night, came when a local churchman uh, said that he believed that, and he said he was speaking from having spoken to young people about their experience of stop and search, was that, that they absolutely hated it. They felt that it showed that the police were not on the side of law-abiding people like themselves, and he said, including my own children. Um, and he said that uh, a lot of young people regard the police as like another gang. You know, people, a, another bunch of people to be outmaneuvered and competed with. And I think we see, we've seen that graphically realised in, 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 in some of what we've seen in recent days. There was a big spontaneous cheer against stop and search. And I think one question, which is going to be almost impossible for any politician to address, and indeed Ken Livingstone and Boris Johnson are both supporters of stop and search, is whether stop and search has, A, had any useful effect uh, in terms of uh, reducing youth crime and actually youth victim, young victims of, of violent crime including with knives have increased over the last three years but actually is it the most useful way to deploy resources if we're trying to deal with criminality in these communities at all and I think that is a really big question I don't see it being asked the other point I'd like to make is that when I was in Clarence Road which is where a lot of the burning and looting was going on on Monday night in Hackney um, and, and went there the following day and this slightly surreal experience of being in another crowd, this time composed largely of journalists and local people, was that they, the local residents who had not been involved in rioting were very reluctant to actually condemn in a simple way what had gone on. They were much more interested in talking about the sorts of things I mentioned earlier, you know, why aren't young people getting opportunities from the Olympics and so on? John, John, Jonathan, can I ask you, I mean, do you think that the, the political classes are, are just kind of completely lost touch with, with a, whole, a whole group of people who are out on the streets involved in these disturbances? Yes, I do. And uh, it's really rare. That, and there are some politicians who do have a feel for it, uh, who are across the kind of uh, sentiments you've heard there, that Dave uh, Hill was talking about, but also that Stafford was reflecting. They're really rare. There are a few of them, but most of them, and I have to include the media, myself, and other people in this. Uh, it's partly generational. It's pro it is probably partly ethnic. You know, white middle-aged journalist or MP in their 40s, 50s isn't just in regular contact with the with the, uh, with this culture, with the people involved, and they feel alien from it. And you could see that in all the kind of who are these people. Uh, that was the uh, cry that went up from politicians, from um, from 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 the media. So I think there there's a, uh, there has been a turning away from. Uh, that group of people from the, the from those communities, and apart from a few very dogged constituency members of parliament, I think probably some local councillors as well, but in national politics, a few dogged constituency MPs uh, are aware of all this stuff. I mean, uh, in, you know, I ran into the local MP. I think I mentioned when I was in Tottenham this morning. It was very interesting. He, you felt he knew the people there, and he was much more close to it. But it, those, those are rare. For everyone else, it's been much easier to demonise. And if you think about what happened to. David Cameron, when he did talk about hugger hoodie, how mocked he was by just suggesting that <laughs> there might be some social problems underlying uh, antisocial behaviour uh, represented by people who wear hoodies. He was mocked roundly, and he had to retreat from that position. And uh, I think there, that that shows you where we are. There was a really uh, interesting exchange, I thought, on Newsnight on uh, Tuesday when. Harriet Harman began to just tiptoe into 
some of the anger might be because there are few opportunities because of, and I think perhaps unwisely mentioned tuition fees and education maintenance allowance. But she was making the point about aspiration, and Gove absolutely went after how you once again you're trying to explain this away, as if somehow even to talk about these people as people is suggest you're siding with them rather than siding with the victims of crime. It's a real paralysis in our political conversation. People don't know how to talk about. Uh, these sorts of problems without coming off as some kind of bleeding heart liberal who cares more for the criminal than the victim. And and we've got ourselves into a real bind on this. And I don't think it's just flared up now. I think it, it's, as your question suggests, it's something that's been built into the system for quite a long time to the extent that politicians, the political class, have turned away from those they would label, not a word I use, they would label the underclass because they are sort of out of sight and out of mind. Well, Stafford, uh, they're not uh, out of sight or out of mind now, are they? They're certainly not. And it was really interesting hearing Jonathan say that because let me tell you, in the last few days, Bernie Grant's name has been raised and mentioned in Tottenham more than it has been in the 11 years since he's passed. He was he was the MP uh, in the 80s who said, well, he was quoted as saying that the police got a good hiding at Broadwater Farm and he went on to become an MP. He, w- he went on to become an MP and regardless of which position he attained, he was always trying to be understanding of the young people and to work out and understand their actions and their behaviours. Um, I I, I, want to say that the politicians have sowed these young people down the swanee, that we need to remember that this is not just about race. Yesterday I saw, um, I don't know what to call it, it was looting going on in Salford, and that was with um, working class or maybe never had the chance to become working class white people. Um, So it's not just about race, even though we can see lots of young black people at the fore. The reality is, is these children are the children, the children of the already marginalised. They're not just marginalised themselves, but their parents were marginalised and therefore unable to give them the support and the direction needed to um, navigate this system. And I think a lot of people actually totally underestimate what that can do and what that means for young people and young people's lives. It leaves them leading blighted lives. And because we didn't learn the um we didn't we did we didn't learn from what happened in the eighties, we're allowing it to happen again today. Edwina Curry, who used to be a minister in previous Tory governments when all of this was kicking off, she had the temerity to come on TV and say, um, in the eighties, you know, this isn't like the eighties. In the eighties, racism was almost respectable respectable. That's what she said. Now, what those of us who lived through it in the 80s remember the Tories telling us that there was no such thing. They told us that we were mindless fogs going out there and committing crime. And this is what happens. After a period of time elapses, they then look back and then they admit and acknowledge what we are telling them is going on. The problem is, in, in, in allowing that time to elapse, they allow these feelings to harden and worsen and the youngsters get colder and colder every generation because every generation there's clear examples to show them of the impact of racism on their community. I'm not an apologist for these young people but what I'm saying is the shooting of Mark Duggan tipped them over the edge but it wasn't just the shooting it's the whole way that it was dealt with him being pronouncing the paper as someone who had come out and shot after police officers when we knew that not to be the case the evidence is now supporting what we knew so these young people fully expected not to receive 
proper justice. So they went out in their streets and their emotions got the better of them. They didn't plan to go out there and riot. They didn't plan to go out there and loot. But once it all kicked off, that's what happened. The reason they loot is because they have this belief that if they can't get equality, if they can't get justice, they might as well get money. They see people like Rio Ferdinand, who comes in the paper today telling them, look, stop it, you've got no justification. They see people like him using his yeah. natural talent to make big money and easy money, and they want some of that. Jonathan Friedland, I mean, what, what did you, I mean, there is clearly a sort of consumerism element to this. How's, how's all this going to end, if you don't mind? Well, that, that's exactly what I wanted to get onto, because I think while the Tottenham case on Saturday night may have some very specific political roots and, uh, and, and even expressed itself politically in opposition to the police, the reason why people are reluctant to uh, see this as political, in a way, is because it has appeared somehow new. Uh, and uh, there's a good piece by our colleague Zoe Williams in, in, in Wednesday's Guardian in which she talks about this as the shopping riots, that there's something very unsettling about seeing people not taking you know, necessities, food to eat, but TVs and trainers and trying on the trainers first. And there does seem, maybe it's the copycat case, that this is just opportunistic theft uh, and, 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 and something very nihilistic about that. In other words, the target isn't. They're not throwing bricks into Portcullis House, not suggesting they should, but they're not doing that. They're not protesting outside Tory HQ uh, or, or outside Downing Street. Instead, they are just nicking stuff. And th th that tells you that there is, first of all, that mean, it makes it very easy for people just to say, look, this is pure crime. But it also means, uh, it, it suggests that there is somehow this uh, deep link to consumerism, that constantly stuff is shoved in people's faces that they can't afford, but to put it very crudely. Uh, ads on TV, posters, etc. And uh, after a while, and I think there's something in this too, a society that constantly talks about acquisition and acquiring as being an, a, a just unalloyed good, you know, down to the old 80s slogan, greed is good, and reveres in the lifestyle supplements the bankers and people who earn huge amounts of money. I don't mean it reveres bankers, but it reveres people who earn huge amounts of money, and bankers are among those people. Eventually, some of that is going to trickle down. I mean, the money hasn't trickled down, but the attitude to money has trickled down to people at the very bottom of the economic pile. And I think that is part of this, too. Uh, and, and last point I would make of it is a kind of wider sense of powerlessness and impotence Firstly, on the part of the public watching this and the shop owners and the residents themselves who felt stunned and traumatised, actually, I think in many cases, by the sight of the police being powerless to stop this, there is something very unsettling about seeing those we entrust uh, with our safety unable to defend us and actually in retreat while the criminals act. So there's a powerlessness there, but even a sense that our politicians actually can just do things and make statements, but still nothing happens. And there is a kind of larger malaise, I think, actually, in gnawing away at many, many aspects of society in which people don't feel the old institutions that they used to rely on uh, can make much difference. And I would, in a funny way, I think that may even go for some of the rioters themselves because they don't even bother. Politics doesn't matter. They'd rather go shopping, uh, even if shopping that they're not paying for. So I think there's a, we, we're going to have, have many, many, a long time to unpick all this and unravel it and think about it later, even if right now there's a kind of taboo on talking about that. Uh, how does it end? It ends probably just with very, very intense policing and really f simplistically a very a period of three or four days of heavy rain will also play a part. Riots in the past, summer riots have often ended when the weather turns and that may be a factor here too. So Dave, uh, we're, not, we're not praying for a long hot summer, um, but I mean, that, interestingly there has been 
as well as this broken Britain, if you like, kind of manifestation, there has also been a bit of big society, hasn't there, with uh, you know people wielding brooms and whatnot in Clapham Junction, a big uh, photograph uh, in all the papers today. So there has been, a, and people defending their properties, there has been a sense of community as well, don't you think? Yeah, I'm sure there has. I mean, one of the slightly surreal things about watching the uh, the cars burning on Clarence Road in Hackney the other night was that I actually bumped into quite a lot of people I haven't seen in years you know I mean I'm not trying to make trying to be frivolous here but it it was in a strange way a sort of social occasion in Hackney people acutely aware of the fact that over the last I don't know 10 12 15 years we have gradually as a borough begun to shed the really bad reputation that we used to have the main street that I lived just off of was and sometimes still is called Murder Mile because of a number of killings that took place there and in the vicinity. And gradually some of that has, has begun to disappear. Now you've got this horrible feeling that it's back again. And um, there is a great feeling of sympathy for local shopkeepers um, and um, one, for example, did lose some property from a storage uh, place that he has just down the road. And uh, we haven't had that sort of uh, mass broom gathering yet uh, in Hackney. But there are certainly people communicating with each other on Twitter and talking in the street and in the corner shops about what we can do to help people who've uh, shopkeepers who, who, we, who we care about uh, and want to support how we, can, how, how we can assist them. So, you know, that is, that is perhaps the bright side. You know, like Jonathan and like Stafford, I'm praying for the opportunity for a proper, grown-up and reasonably dispassionate debate about these terribly grave and serious issues because what has been going on has been horrible. It has been terrible and frightening. And uh, people, and especially politicians, have really, in the end, got to have the proper grown-up conversation about understanding in the sense of intellectually grasping what's gone on so that they can come up with better solutions to it i'm not holding my breath i'm afraid stafford one last word from you right can i just say rain's not going to stop this this is embedded in the system you see those young kids that are out there younger than ever came out there in the 80s the reason they're out there at that young age is because they can be consigned to the dustbin at younger age when blair said schools what every child coming out of school needs to get between one and five gcse's a to c there was no way some of those kids were going to be able to attain that. So teachers left them on the heap whilst they went to prioritise those that they thought could attain that or those who were borderline to make sure that they did so it looks good in their statistics so that they meet their targets. And all these other young kids, they're just out there. And another bunch of those that are out there are those who were sold down the lines of chasing NVQs. There are kids out there with NVQs that employers do not recognise. This is embedded in the system. And unless we begin to really understand why it's happened, it's going to happen again and again and again. Stafford Scott, Dave Hill, Jonathan Friedland, thanks very much for joining us. Jason Phipps and Phil Maynard were the producers of Guardian Focus. My name's John Dennis and there's further coverage of the riots on our live blog, guardian.co.uk. Thanks very much for listening. great downloads go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio